This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 125 of the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us once again here in mid-January, the morning after Rutgers' dramatic win over Iowa with a defensive performance for the ages, ultimately taking down the Hawkeyes 48-46 at Jersey Mike's Arena. One of the best defensive performances, probably the best, to be honest, that I could ever remember a Rutgers team delivering. You know, historically, it was um, they held Iowa to 27.9% shooting, the lowest of any uh, Big Ten foe uh, Rutgers has has held, you know, in the Big Ten era. So the past eight seasons, they held Iowa 40 points below their scoring average and held them to four field goals in the final 1650 of the game. Uh, and, and this is, you know, came against a team that entered the game, the third most efficient offense in the country. Always an explosive team, but, you know, averaging 86 points a game. They really were an offensive juggernaut coming into this game. And Rutgers, just what they did defensively, uh, it really shows the potential. And and I think, you know, that that what we saw defensively last night and, and rebounding-wise, they were plus 11 on the boards in the second half, uh, which really was a key uh, and an area where Iowa has struggled in all of their losses now. I think this is the vision that Steve Peichel had when he said that this was his best team ever. Um, I, I think, you know, the core principle of of the of his um, plan and vision for the program is that, you know, there's going to be uh, off nights offensively, but if they can defend and rebound uh, and I don't even think he could, you know, expect the type of performance defensively that we saw last night all the time, of course, because it really was an epic, epic uh, performance, but a strong defensive play, a commitment to rebounding. Rutgers is always going to have a chance to win in the Big Ten. And they were able to do it despite shooting 31% themselves, two of 13 from three, but they were able to overcome it all. You know, they were seven of 22 near the rim with layups. I mean, you don't win games like that, especially against good offensive teams like Iowa, um, but they did and they did. And, and I think this is the second game of the season that, you know, I point to Purdue being the other, that if you look at the box score, if you look at the stats, you know, you kind of have to shake your head and, 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 it's pretty amazing um, that they won the game against, you know, two of the better teams, uh, of course, in the conference, and they were able to do so. So I think it shows the potential of this team. Uh, obviously, they've been inconsistent. Obviously, it was a terrible November. But here we are now, mid-January. Hope is alive and well. Their net is right now right, you know, right on the cusp of getting into to, uh, double digits. Uh, they're right now 105 after last night's victory. Obviously, a lot more work to do, but there is plenty of opportunities ahead, both with uh, quad one opponents in February. And really, the key also is, is these next four games, uh, assuming Minnesota on Saturday will happen. Their game was canceled last night um, due to COVID issues in their program. But Rutgers is now set to face the, the bottom four teams in the Big Ten standings in the next four games. You're at Minnesota, Maryland at home, at Nebraska, then at Northwestern, all winnable games. and really all games that they need to have uh, to build their resume to get to that. What I think is at a minimum, a 12 and eight record re- required to be an NCAA tournament contention. Uh, they need these next four before, you know, we even get to February and talk about, 
you know, upset potential and, and, and getting, you know, several quad one wins that could really uh, improve their net ranking and their resume overall, you have to take care of business ahead. And if they do that, it'll be their best start in Big Ten play ever. They've never been six and two, five and two is the best uh, ties. Um, the 2019-2020 uh, team that started five and two and then was seven and three. So Rutgers has a chance to, to end the first half of conference play uh, with its best start in, in the Big Ten since joining the league. So lots to be excited about. I think that, you know, the development of Cliff Omor, uh, Omori uh, has been so impressive. Ron Harper Jr., you know, obviously his offense gets, gets lauded and, and is so crucial to the team's success. But his defense has been phenomenal this season overall. And it really uh, stood out last night against the nation's leading scorer, Keegan Murray. He really was the primary defender, holding them to, to 13 points of uh, 14, uh, excuse me, 10 below his uh, season average. Uh, so that, that and to do what he did down the stretch offensively and, and carry this team was was really impressive. So lots to be hopeful about moving forward. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But certainly opportunity is, is, is abound for them. And I think, you know, I made the joke on Twitter last night, but it's. Yeah, you know, Rutgers either going to make the NCAA tournament or they're going to kill uh, every fan trying. And I think we're probably set up for at this point, you know, they're, they're going to make a run. It's a matter of how deep a run they can go and how serious they can they can make this comeback towards March Madness dreams. And I think, um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a wild ride to come. And, uh, you know, a, as bad as the start of the season was, um, I think it is a little little crazy that they are in as good of a position. Uh, again, not good overall in terms of being on the bubble even yet, but um, I think, you know, most are surprised that they're even at this point and, and still in the conversation. And that's the beauty of the Big Ten is that you're always in it with the schedule that you have, as difficult as the schedule can be. I think this team, you know, they're they're starting to figure out their identity. They're starting to, the starting five is, um, you know, I think really coming together and gelling. Uh, you're seeing development from all of them, uh, even from just, you know, a, a month and a half ago. And uh, it's it's uh, certainly exciting to to think of the possibilities uh, because, like I said in writing this week, they haven't had a complete performance yet. They haven't. I don't think they've peaked. I don't think they've reached their full potential as a team. Uh, and, and and that to me is the biggest reason to hope moving forward. Lots going on overall with Rutgers athletics. Uh, wrestling uh, just came off a duel against number one Penn State. Uh, really um, starting to. The schedule really in the meat of it now with uh, nationals just, you know, less than two months away at this point. Um, and then football, lots of activity, both on the transfer portal and adding coaching hires to talk about both along with men's hoops. Very happy to welcome back to the podcast, NJ Advanced Media's James Cratch, and we welcome him in now. It's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Rutgers beat reporter for NJ Advanced Media, James Cratch. James, thanks so much for coming back. How How is everything? Everything is going great, Aaron. Fresh off my first basketball trip to the building formerly known as The Rack. Big win for Rutgers. Not on the bubble yet. I'd say they're bubble adjacent. They're working their way towards the bubble. Well, and I have to uh, first acknowledge that you you got a shout out from Steve Peichel at the beginning of the press conference. So congratulations on winning New Jersey's best sports writer for this past year, along with your colleague, uh, Keith Sargent. Well deserved. Yes, thank you. I guess they ran out of people, so they had to give him the Sargent. <laughs> I, I actually think Politi, was, it's like a term limit thing. Like, I think like Politi, like you, you can win it more than twice, but you can't like win it, you know, non-consecutive victories. So um, yeah, Sarge <laughs> and I, happy to share it with Sarge. 
nice honor. Um, thanks to everyone for all the kind words the past few days. Also, congratulations to Jerry Recco, the voice of Rutgers men's basketball, also the sportscaster of the year. So, um, no, a lot of fun. Thank you. So just touching on uh, the Iowa win on Wednesday night, we're talking Thursday morning. You were there. What was your feeling from the environment, from the way Rutgers performed, and what this potentially could do for them moving forward? Yeah, so you know, I thought the environment was really good. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a full hundred percent, you know, arena. I think we got used to in twenty twenty. I think it was like I'm gonna say, like you know, in moments it kicked up to like ninety, ninety two percent. But I thought it was a great crowd. And you know, obviously, it's weird with the, the student section was great, but it's weird with you know them still being virtual. I've I've said this on our podcast anecdotally from the wrestling matches I've gone to. It feels like the crowds have gotten smaller since the vaccine mandate went into place. I don't know if I necessarily said about this crowd. I thought this crowd was about, you know, they, it was announced as a sellout, but it pretty much looked like every sellout we had, you know, before COVID and everything. But Rutgers played really well. I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, they if they can play good defense and Ron and Geo can step up and lead the way when they have to, they've got a chance to turn this whole thing around and get back to the tournament. But if that doesn't happen... I think you're seeing that, you know, there are issues, you know, in terms of shooting 30% or getting beat on the boards or turnovers. So, yeah, I think they're a team that if everything's clicking, they are going to be good. And, you know, last night, everything was not really clicking in terms of the offense, but the defense was tremendous and they were tough down the stretch. And, you know, they got a little bit of a gift at the end there. I, you know, I, you know as, I, as I wrote my story, it was a rock fight that ended with a pillow swipe. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how you make that call with 1.9 seconds left in a Big Ten game, but they did. And you know, Harper has struggled free throws in the past, hits both shots. You know, and look, it's not crazy to say this with the schedule, with the up, you know, with with you know, assuming the Minnesota game gets played, Nebraska, Maryland again, this Northwestern Rutgers could be conceivably in first place in the Big Ten <laughs> in February. Because they're five and two now, they they could very well be nine and two. And if someone loses a game, now granted they have a brutal February, but it's entirely possible it's going to be February second. And Rutgers is tied for first place in the Big Ten or in first place in the Big Ten, which is crazy, but not so crazy. I agree with you. I'm right there with you. Just in, in speaking about that ending, obviously, yeah, it's a call that shouldn't have been made. Uh, it also um, is a call that Rutgers never seems to get. Ending at one point nine seconds was. Uh, kind of poetic and uh, gave every Rutgers fan a heart attack uh, with flashbacks to the Wies camp shot with 1.9 a few years ago. What is your perspective on, obviously they, they did get some bench contributions last night. Dean Reber has, has looked improved lately. Uh, even Gonzalez AG gave them uh, four huge points off the bench. Hyatt had five rebounds. How starter dependent do you think this team is? And do you think it's, you know, feast or famine with them? Or do you think there's any chance that they can get consistent bench play down the stretch? You know, right now, I think they're very starter dependent. You know, I, th- I thought, you know, Dean Reaver played. I was really impressed. Yeah, he just was kind of all over the place, hustle guy. You know, obviously, you have to expand that sample size at some point. But, you know, I think that that's a big step. Pike Lynch, get more confident in the bench. I think, to me, getting, I thought the best things you mentioned, they got some good minutes out of Aggie, was, and I, we go back to what way it was with Miles. Johnson was here. I've always feared with this team, if Cliff gets in early foul trouble, are they going to be kind of held hostage by his availability or lack thereof on the court? I think that's the big key for them to have that depth inside. And if Reaver can give it to them, you know, continue to develop, that's great for them. 
And I think that's one of the most impressive things about uh, Omori's uh, development so far is he has been able to stay on the floor. Uh, you know, he's had games over 30 minutes uh, played. Last night was close to 30. So I agree with you. Uh, keeping him on the floor and building depth behind him is important. In terms of what you think is realistic for this team to achieve, to be able to maybe, say, go into the Big Ten tournament with a chance to make the NCAA tournament, where do you think they need to finish uh, Big Ten regular season-wise? I think they definitely have to win the next four games. So that would get them a 9-2. and two. I, They have that brutal stretch. It's like eight straight games right now against ranked opponents or something. Man, so they get a 9-2. and two, They get four of those. Maybe like 13-7, I think you'd feel pretty good. 12-8, and you probably maybe need to win a game or two in, in Indianapolis. But yeah, I, I would think to me 10-10. Ten and 10, they probably need to go on a run. Eleven and nine, less certain. I think twelve to thirteen is a good sweet spot for them to feel really good going into championship week and have a real shot to get in. Yeah, obviously net rankings will come into play with the NCAA tournament selection committee, but I, I just look at it maybe a bit old fashioned. But if you finish in the top five or six of the Big Ten, I, I don't know how you don't ultimately make the NCAA tournament. No, I would I would agree with that. You know, I look, I, I know net is big, and obviously that's important. But I think you're right too. You know, it's the Big Ten. If you're in the top five or the top six, top six of the Big Ten, and the other thing too is, you know, maybe they get lucky. You know, and some of these losses don't look as poor as the season progresses. But they dug themselves a hole. They're admirably trying to dig themselves out. They're making progress, but I, I still think that. They have to win these next four games or three, depending on what happens with Minnesota on Saturday. And then they've got to hold Sir 500 in that brutal February stretch. Last question on men's hoops. How vital is it moving forward past this season for Steve Peichel to uh, change his approach, both with the non-conference schedule and with his approach to the transfer portal? I think the transfer portal, 100,000%. You know, I, I think... And I, I, I get it. You know, this is a, I, I've said this, I, I've said this many times. I look at, I think Steve Peichel at Rutgers, it's going to be a cyclical program. And there are going to be years where, you know, the, they're kind of on a low end of the, re, you know, they're, they're young, they're, they're developing, and they're not going to be as good. I think that this COVID year kind of wrecked the curve in the sense that you had Geo back, you know, Ron, you know, like, he couldn't necessarily sell playing time with all these guys back from an NCAA tournament, an iconic team to portal guys. Next year, he's going to be able to sell playing time. You know, a lot of guys are going to move on. So I think that's the big key. He's got to go into portal. Now, look, I also think this. I think the portal gets blown out of proportions. It is, it is not a magic bullet. I've always said this. The portal in football, but I think it probably applies the same way in basketball, but a little bit easier. It's like, it's like free agency in the NFL. The guys who are free agents in the NFL are free agents for a reason. You know, the best players don't get to free agency. They get extended. They get franchise tag. You're paying A-plus money to B-plus players. Now, obviously, now NIL is a factor, but I think in this situation, a lot of times with football, and to some extent maybe with basketball, you see B-plus players get A-plus destinations. So I, I don't think that you can go in the portal and overnight. I mean, look, look at Nebraska. It's not working. You know, they've brought all these transfers. It's not like I don't think you can go in there and create a sweet 16 team overnight with a portal addition or two. 
But I think he definitely has to be more aggressive in the portal. The non-conference schedule, to me, I'm going to give a crazy take. You shouldn't lose to Lafayette ever. But I'm okay with losing to Lafayette like once every 25 years. Because at least Lafayette is a, a local team and you know there's some interest. And you're not paying them a tremendous amount of money to come here. And there's a history and heritage between the two schools. To me, that's the thing. Like, I get it. You, you need to play some, you know, easy games to kind of break your young guys in, get in the flow. But play those easy games against schools that are around the corner that people have heard of. You know, there might be people who went to Lafayette and to Rutgers, you know, stuff like that. I do think they need to add, you know, but I understand Peichel's argument of, hey, we play ACC Big Ten Challenge. We play the Gavick games. We play Seton Hall. That's all well and good. But when the, the ACC Challenge is going to give you a Clemson or Pitt every year, and, and you're going to end up with DePaul and the Gavick games, at that point, you got to go get a big fish. I like to see that. And, like, my biggest thing is I'd love to see them play Iona at some point. In the next, like, they've got to get Rick Pitino into Jersey Mike's Arena. Like, that game has to be – there's no reason not to play the game. It would be so great for the area. Yeah, and you know Rutgers used to play Iona pretty regularly uh, earlier this uh, this century. So I, I agree with you on the local teams. You know Lafayette and Lehigh both on the schedule this year, the second and third uh, most frequent uh, opponent uh, in Rutgers program history. I think what would they have to do is just eliminate two or three of those sub three hundred opponents and start playing more teams. They don't even have to be high major teams, but teams in that a hundred to two hundred ranking. Uh, you know, exactly. uh, I, I've, I've beat that drum before, but Princeton fits perfectly in that scenario. Typically, oh, around don't, even, don't, don't even get me started. on. I mean, <laughs> to me, I've written this before. The most incredible. There's many incredible things that are Rutgers athletics. The fact that Eddie Jordan was allowed to torpedo like a century old rivalry. Like, think about this. Eddie Jordan got to kill the Princeton Rutgers rivalry. How insane is that? Like, uh, Century of history, and they let Eddie Jordan stop it. Like, come on, guys! <laughs> it's it's absurd, and uh... and Pykel Pykel deserves you know some blame too. Like he could play Princeton, but I agree with you. Like Prince, like off the top of my head, like Drexel. Mm-hmm. Drexel's not gonna come in and beat you, but people have actually heard of Drexel. There might be a little buzz. There might be a small Drexel cheering section behind the bench. You know, it's, it's just something that's a little less than. Hey, we're bringing this tomato can to get fifty thousand dollars and a couple of pieces of pizzas, and we're going to win by fifty. Absolutely, and uh, I, I think you know I've I've been a proponent. I think Rutgers should play Princeton in, in pretty much every sport that they possibly can. Uh, it's obviously one of the best athletic programs in the country, and um, I do think some other programs have taken advantage of Eddie Jordan's decision. And you know, you see Princeton less frequently than you used to, and I think that you know, in every sport, it's always been a, a great opportunity and, and has produced many memorable games in multiple sports. No, you're absolutely right. And what's crazy about that is, and and, and not just Princeton, but Seton Hall and other sports, is that like the stark differences in how the various programs, like like Rutgers and Princeton in wrestling. They literally needed the Ivy League to say we're not competing and for the Big Ten to say conference only. Like they were doing moving heaven and earth, basically invented a quad meet on like New Year's Day or something like that <laughs> to try to wrestle Brett Rutgers Princeton in, you know, the COVID season. You know, I, and I look, I think we're moving in that direction. You know, uh, credit to Steve Owens baseball program is going to play Princeton and Seton Hall this year. I think that's a mass, major first step. I think it would be tremendous if the men's soccer program, now that like Rutgers is on the rise, seeing all the really good, they should be playing, you know, 
it's just it, it's easy. I mean, look, you know, I got a lot of ideas, but like that's an easy way, especially with some of these smaller sports, to generate excitement because people are gonna show up, especially if it's a one-off baseball game. I know this year it's in South Orange. Imagine if you put that game on a Sunday at the Patriots Stadium. People are, or, or you know, Montclair State, Yogi Berra Stadium. People are gonna show up. Totally agree. Wanted to transition into wrestling, which you just mentioned. Wanted to get your read on the performance Sunday, uh, obviously against number one Penn State. Won three of the ten uh, matches. Overall, what were your thoughts on their performance and and where this uh, kind of puts them moving forward? I thought they wrestled really tough. You know, I thought, you know, I, I know a lot of people aren't major wrestling fans. The best way I can quantify it is if that was like a, a basketball game, you know, Rutgers would have played the number one team in the country and like, you know, had it deep into the second half before they you know lost by like 12 or at the end or something. I thought they wrestled really well, you know, obviously disappointing. You don't get the Sebastian Rivera, Nick Lee matchup. We're going to have to wait until Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, big 10 championships for that. Greg Bolsag, I thought, you know, tough loss to Max team, but he wrestled really well. He looked like a guy who is going to be on the podium, who could be in the national semifinals. And if everything breaks right, I, you, you could see Greg Bolsack in a national final at that weight. You know, I thought Dylan Shaver wrestled well. Joey Oliveri, you know, holding Roman Bravo Young to a decision, great. So they, they wrestled really well. I mean, look, I think, like, Rutgers wrestling fan base, when they lose to Wisconsin, every time the first duel meet of the year they lose, the sky is falling. This is horrible. They really, to me, look like the best team they've had top to bottom, you know, since Scott Goodell's been here, potentially, um, since I've been back on the beat, certainly. They've got ability. You know, obviously, losing Turley for the season hurts. Losing Sammy Alvarez to, to weight issues hurts. I still think this is a team that has a very good chance to get to the national tournament, push for four All-Americans, push to get you know two or three guys in the semifinals. Maybe Sebastian gets into the national final, so has a shot to win a national title. So they, I thought they wrestled about as well as you could expect them at this point, and I think they're growing, which is what you want to see. Obviously, uh, you know, Rivera, Poznanski, and Bolsak are, are getting the, the bulk of the attention, and rightfully so. But uh, how impressed have you been with Michael Van Brill and, and the year he's put together just one loss? Oh, tremendous. You know, Mike Van Brill is this guy who I, I think every time I think we, I'm on with you guys, we talk about wrestling, he's been this guy who even going back to his first season when he was filling in at 141 for Anthony Ashnault, um, the year he was out with an injury, and it's just always been solid. You know, Mike's been kind of incredible. He was a guy who wasn't a heralded recruit necessarily coming out of high school. He was an excellent dual meet wrestler. He either would win or he'd lose by decision, never gave up bonus points, always kept things tight. He has really developed into a guy who is a threat to make All-American, you know, top eight finish of the national tournament. We saw him have that great run at the Big Ten Championships last year disappointing run at the nationals he's been in the zone i mean that was a really tough win over bo bartlett really impressive win he keeps stepping up he's got another tough weekend coming up this week he is you know really developing into a guy who i think has a chance to again definitely all american and if to get the right draw happens wouldn't shock me if we wake up you know uh, on friday in detroit and you know he's gunning for a semifinal appearance in the short term this weekend, obviously they're on the road uh, at number 21, Michigan State, on Friday. And then a huge matchup with number three, Michigan, on Sunday, which uh, I, I heard you say that you were headed to Ann Arbor for that. How wild is it going to be to see Nick Soriano, former national champion of Rutgers, 
take the map for Michigan and, and, you know, what, what are your kind of thoughts? Obviously I know he, he's been a, uh, a interesting uh, figure in Rutgers sports to cover uh, over the years. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, it's, um, I wouldn't say it's weird. It's just, I'm sort of, for me, it's like, Oh, like, wow, this like actually all came to be. I, I always tell people like, it, it's just crazy. The, the turn everything took when I go back to, he wins a national title and they have the beat the streets event at Madison Square Garden, and Nick hadn't wrestled freestyle in like years. And he, you know, he just hey, you know, it's it's a garden. I'm a national title. It's Rutgers, big Rutgers crowd. He goes out and he and he, he beats a world bronze medalist in Joe Cologne. And then he realizes, hey, I want to do this. I don't think anyone ever expected going to that night. That was the direction this was all going to exit. So no, I mean, I, I think it's 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 fascinating to me, you know, that he chose Michigan. I think Mich- if when he went to the transfer portal, I, I remember it was right like the day before Big Ten football media days. I think most people figured Ohio State, there was talk for a second he might go back to Penn State, which would have been truly crazy, would be an incredible turn of events. You know, Iowa State was also in the mix, but you know, Michigan came on late. He's there. He's the clear favorite to win a national title at 125 with Spencer Lee out. It's going to be strange, but I think at the same time, too, there's so so much time has passed since he was at Rutgers and in the room and part of the program, and that kind of takes some of the shock value out of it. So last wrestling question, uh, you know, in general, what do you think the fair expectations are for this program in the Big Ten Championship and uh, National? I would say National Tournament, top 10 finish, you know, three to four All-Americans, we one guy in the national finals, potentially a national champion. In terms of national title hunt, we'll have a much better sense when we see Rivera Lee, you know, at the Big Ten Championships in March. Big Ten Championships is so strange to pinpoint because there's so many variables to it. Like who's actually going to, you know, a lot of times guys will get there, they'll wrestle, they'll get, they'll fall into their AQ status, and they'll just, they'll just shut down. You know, like Scott, you know, like I can't tell you how many times. I've covered a Big Ten Championships where Rutgers has had a bad tournament and the sky is falling, and then two weeks later, they have a great national tournament, you know? So that's the thing, too. Like, it's a, it's the Big Ten Championships in, in many ways is tougher than the national tournament because it's just a grind, and it's compact, and it, it, everybody is good. So I think it's – I never want – I would say uh, – top half finish in the Big Ten Championships is what you aim for, just because there's so many variables. But I definitely think if they have the three to four All-Americans, they get someone in the finals. I also think the big thing for them, too, is there are guys like Dylan Shaver. I don't think Dylan Shaver is actually going to be an All-American this year. But I can see Dylan Shaver winning a couple of bouts at the national tournament, getting some points, whereas in the past, you know, they might go 0-2 at that spot. So transitioning to football, obviously, it's been a busy offseason since uh, the Gator Bowl a few weeks ago. What are your initial thoughts of the coaching changes and hires, um, specifically with defensive coordinator Joe Herzmiak? Yeah, so my, my big takeaway from, from hiring, you know, Harris Herzmiak, Harris, I've heard it pronounced, uh, my big takeaway with that hire is that that was a signal to me, like, he is a guy who was a successful head coach at Maine. You know, he almost got the Buffalo job last offseason. You know, very well respected. He's not coming here for a title while Greg Schiano runs the defense. So that was a sign to me that it's his defense. You know, obviously Greg Schiano is going to be involved in it. He's the head coach. So, he, you know, he has veto power. But 
that that they're bringing him in to run the defense. So like that to me was a, was a big sign of you know Greg Schiano is staying committed to being the CEO head coach. He's not going to take over this defense. I thought it was a strong hire. I, I kind of felt you know a little silly when it happened because I and I've written this before. A lot of times with so far with Schiano's staff hires at Rutgers, the answers have been right in front of us. And you go back to you know the, the first staff and he, obviously with this one. And it makes sense, you know, Jersey guy tied to, you know, Shiano adjacent ties with PJ and everything. And I thought with him and with Marquis Watson, I was really kind of intrigued that like Greg doubled down on the importance of New Jersey. Obviously, you know, New Jersey is going to be important, but I was curious of, are they going to go get a guy who's got great recruiting ties in Texas or Florida or California and try to expand the map a little bit? But no, they're they're all Jersey, all in. So I thought that was also a, a key takeaway from the hires. Yeah, I think adding both of those uh, coaches, you know, n- now they have seven of nine assistants that that are uh, New Jersey natives. And I also think, you know, they, they got a lot younger with Harismiak and uh, and Watson replacing uh, Pandagos and Rob Smith. How important do you think that is for recruiting? And and where do you see Shiano filling this last open assistant coaching spot? I think he's going to take his time. You know, I, I, I think I felt like a little bit of a restructure of the staff. I don't think, you know, moving out, Adam Shire going to Temple, I, I, my, like, he, the special teams were good. So I, I don't think they're going to bring in necessarily another special teams coordinator. You kind of see a lot of teams naturally move away from that and just kind of have the head coach handle special teams or kind of divvy up the responsibilities. So I expect that they're going to bring in a, a new position uh, when they add the 10th assistant. Not 100% sure what that could be. I mean, I think you could make a case with all these offensive linemen. Maybe you get a second assistant offensive line coach. Maybe you go in another coach in the secondary, although Harris Miak, obviously, he's coached secondary a great deal. He coached at Minnesota. So I expect something different that kind of augments a position group where they want to really focus on in 2022. And touching on on the offensive line with the transfer portal, bringing in four uh, four players uh, just in the, over the last week or so, um, you know, how, how transformative do you think that will be for next season, both from an immediate impact standpoint, starter wise, but then also the impact it can have on all the younger uh, offensive linemen in the program in terms of learning from some of these veteran guys? Well, I think the biggest thing is seven, you know, offensive line recruits in 2022 class, they can pretty much redshirt all seven of them. I think that's the signal. Felter played in 2020. Uh, Gus Linskis played in 2021. So there is a precedent set for a true you know, first-year freshman to play immediately so far during this second tenure for Chiano. But I think they can redshirt all those guys. They've got enough experience depth. I think transfer portal, four guys. I think, you know, Ciafroni from Colorado State is probably more of a long-term play. He's sort of like Island Brown or Troy Rainey, new to the offensive line. But, yeah, I think J.D. Lorenzo, Willie Tyler, Curtis Dunlap, if they get two quality starters out of that four, that group of four, I think they've done great with the transfer portal. I think this is a group that's going to provide some competition, provide some depth, and they kind of allow them to really put together a starting five that they feel good about. And, and you know, you need eight, eight or nine, preferably, to go forward. I think they are at that point where last year they, they didn't have that. We saw all the changes they made. This year I think they're going to have – uh, they're going to be able to set an eight to nine man group and, and feel comfortable about that group. Last question for you, just in terms of, you know, obviously prioritizing the offensive line, bringing in Sean Ryan, the, the wide receiver from West Virginia, 
how does all of this impact the quarterback situation? And how confident are you that uh, in Chestnut Hill, September 3rd against Boston College, that Gavin Wimsat is the starter? I still think I would still, if I had to place a bet, I would still bet on Wimsat being the starter. But I do think that, you know, look, they have been incredibly committed to Noah Vegel for two years now. I could see a situation where it's a platoon for the first half of the season. By the end of the year, like, it's going to be Wimsat's show. There's no doubt in my mind. I am curious, though. If what we saw in the Gator Bowl could be a little bit of a preview of what we're going to see against BC over the first few weeks, and they're going to try to, but then again, like I thought that was a little bit too cute in the Gator Bowl, so I don't think that would work long term. But I could see them platooning to start, but I still think odds are in favor that Wimsett's the guy. James Cratch, NJ Advanced Media, New Jersey Sports Writer of the Year. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Always great to talk to you about Rucker Sports. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much to James Crouch for joining us once again, and congratulations again to him and Keith Sargent for their awards, as well as Jerry Recco uh, being recognized as the best sports writers and, and broadcasters in New Jersey, uh, and, and always great to speak to any of them. Obviously, a lot going on with Rutgers Athletics right now. Spring sports approaching. We're going to have uh, Coach Brian Brecht on the podcast very soon, and, and more to come with the other uh, spring sports as well, as winter sports now really uh, starts to, to approach on the stretch run. So lots of exciting things. Should mention also that the fall sports, uh, the uh, Director Cup uh, standings uh, recently dropped, and Rutgers in, is in as uh, good a position as they've ever been. They're in the top 30 uh, obviously going to be hard to sustain, but the success of the uh, field hockey and women's soccer team in the fall really boosted Rutgers standing uh, in the Directors' Cup. They've, they've never finished in the top 50 ever, uh, and I think they have a, a, a real shot to obviously make the NCAA tournament in multiple sports and winning uh, in the NCAA tournament is going to be crucial to that. But why rule that out yet? I, I certainly think there's a chance that Rutgers could put together the you know top 2021, which really was historic in many levels, uh, the school year 2021. Um, and they have a chance now uh, in the next few months to, to, I think, do even better. So stay tuned for all Rutgers athletics coverage at onthebanks.com. You can follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. You can find this podcast uh, wherever you find podcasts, Apple, as, as well as on our site directly. And thanks so much for joining us once again here at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.